Hi, I'm Eric Gurna, Executive Director of Development Without Limits, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. So I'm here in New York City with Holly Delaney Cole, who is the co-director of Community Resource Exchange. Welcome, Holly. Hi. Good to see you again, Eric. So, um, Holly, you and I have worked together for for a few years now. Um, Our organization's partner to uh, provide technical assistance and other supports to um, New York City Department of Youth and Community Development funded uh, programs, including the Beacons, Cornerstone, um, and other DYCD funded programs. So we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Um, and I've been really eager to, to talk to you about some of your work at CRE. Maybe it would help if you started, if we started out by just talking a little bit about what Community Resource Exchange is. Sure. Sounds good. So uh, Community Resource Exchange is a nonprofit management support organization, and our mission is to help other nonprofits in New York City to become stronger and more effective. And we have particular interest in nonprofits whose missions are about fighting poverty or advancing social justice in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and youth organizations are very much at that front because that's about expanding opportunity for young people. So a fair number of our groups are um, youth-serving organizations. Um, because we're a consulting group, mm-hmm. a great deal of how our methodology, how we deliver our services, is in one-to-one consulting engagements with nonprofits, generally with their leadership, mm-hmm. executive directors or boards of director members of boards of directors, um, we do also work in other methodologies like cohort training and coaching, and we do a little bit of workshops. So I can tell you more about any of that. But that those are the methodologies, and again, a focus on New York City. Although you know, occasionally we'll work outside the city too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I I definitely want to get into some of that methodology stuff, particularly the the one-on-one consulting. I think is really interesting and complicated, and I've I've learned challenging and difficult. Um, but uh, can can you can you talk about your own work at CRE? You've you've been there a number of years. You've tr- you've transitioned into different positions of leadership and everything. What do you do there? Right, right. So CRE, even though we're a consulting group, we're a staffed organization. Mm-hmm. And um, like many of my colleagues, um, I've, I've worked in and out of nonprofits my whole career. And when I landed at Community Resource Exchange, I was pretty excited because it was an opportunity to learn, to sort of use all of me in work. Because when mm-hmm. you are doing consulting, uh, there's some content knowledge you bring, mm-hmm. but there's also... Uh, you as a person who's able to make relationships and and be someone's cheerleader, be someone's coach, um, uh, have the kind of relationship with a client that allows them to, tr- you know, sort of develop trust so that they can um, receive new ideas and try new things. And there's something pretty exciting about having to use yourself and not just your knowledge to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other places I've worked in my career, it was um, when I was a grant maker, for example, it's all about that you are the portal to the dollars. Mm. And there's something much more satisfying about um, this kind of work. 
consultants have kind of a mixed reputation in general. <laughs> um, and and I found working you know primarily in the public sector and the nonprofit sector that it's like I'm I'm kind of always apologizing a little bit and or explaining like not that kind of consultant right um, you know we we talk about that we we sort of ended up in this position we didn't set out to be consultants we sort of ended up in this position and that there that there are a lot of consulting firms that have sort of found, for instance, the after-school field or various sectors of the education or human services fields as, as new markets. Um, there are a lot of really big, broad consulting firms that do all kinds of different work with all kinds of different sectors and see each one as a sort of niche market. Um, you all, you know, you state in your description of CRE that it's about social justice um, and it's about helping, um, particularly helping economically poorer communities. Um, do you find that are you in the same are we in the same boat do you do you find that that consultant reputation works against you in some ways yeah. um i i think what you you are hitting on exactly the difference between uh groups like community resource exchange we're not the only ones mm-hmm. um who's who have a mission that's not about making money you know mm-hmm. doing the work i'm sure that boston consulting and grant thornton want to deliver high quality work um, I would guess that the point is so that they can get more work. The point of us delivering high-quality work is about helping a group solve a problem. In fact, if folks are coming back to us with the same work, we feel like we're not being successful. Right. So I, over time, CRE is 33 years old, and we've always worked in New York City, and we've always worked with the nonprofit community in very much the ways we worked, we, you know, we've worked, uh, that we are working now. So we... We don't have that reputation to fight against, that consultant, um, uh, so the negative aspects of being a consultant to work against. I think a lot of groups identify identify us as being their partner. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, when you started to frame this particular question, what popped into my mind is this old commercial that was out, I don't know, about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. where... The consultants are in a meeting with um, their client, and they're telling them to do stuff. And the client asks them, "Are you going to like help us? You know, implement this? Are you going to make this happen?" And the consultants just crack up because mm-hmm. the idea that they would actually do help something. with implementing, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, the commercial ends with the, the consultants leaving the building, just like laughing at you know about that how I, ludicrous that idea is. Yeah, and. Um, community resource exchange and I think other partner agencies like us we our point is to leave capacity behind mm. we work hard to try to develop the resources so we can be in there for a while to coach and to help with implementation of the idea uh, to help the group continue to problem solve so that mm-hmm. they're stronger so yeah I hear what you're saying about the reputation I think it is present uh, uh, but I think, um, you know, we've done a, a good job of distinguishing ourselves in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, re- I remember that commercial. I don't remember the exact line, but I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember because I, I believe I was already a consultant at that time, and I just kind of shook my head like, thanks. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let, let's talk about the actual work a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that I've found in the past few years of working with so many of these larger community-based organizations here in New York that are youth providers is it matters so much 
what else they do besides the program that I'm there working with. Like, so say we're there working with their after school programs, but the organization also does foster care stuff and they also do juvenile justice stuff. They may do homeless services. They may do so many different things, especially like the settlement house model, which is prevalent here in New York, but exists other places as well. Um, and I'm just wondering like how, what, what you think about that, what your perspective is on what needs to be improved in this, in that system or, you know, what's challenging in that system from your role as a capacity builder. Yeah. So when I think about some of the, the larger, more complex multi-service organizations, the the ones that are very successful have figured out a way to create structures and habits and practices so that and also develop strong middle management mm. so that any one of their divisions or departments or units is being managed well and that the people that are leading those units know how to effectively communicate upward to get resources or to get attention when that's needed. Mm -hmm. And so they have created good systems, good internal structures and systems and practices and habits. Um, and that is, you know, absolutely led from the top in the way that the executive director and the senior team approach, you know, what their view is about de community development and community service. Mm -hmm. So where that breaks breaks apart. Um, you know, we see that all the time. I don't, I'm sure it's true of your work as well, Eric. You know, if, uh, if we're working uh, effectively or trying to work with a program level and we understand that that program director has no influence, mm -hmm. is not able, you know, is being supervised by someone who is all over the place, completely fragmented um, in their ability to, you know, can't give attention, then, uh, you, you know, that's a problem. Right, it's hard to deliver good work and to make great things happen with that person as a partner because they don't have the resources they need. Right, they're not supported. So we see that a lot, um, and when we see that, we try to lift up that as the issue mm -hmm. and try to help the organization figure that piece out because the collaboration, the intra collaboration, the intra resourcing, the partnership that happens inside the organization is key to its success and it's fascinating i mean mo most organizations they want to they want to do great and sure. they have scarce resources so they do need help in figuring out how to best allocate both their leadership talent as well as the limited other kinds of financial or material resources they have in a coherent way but is there is there something that you think uh organizations that figure out how to become successful in the managing those complexities have in common? Like, do you see strong leadership, sure. really effective leadership? Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to say it so quickly or be so glib, but you know, we've, we've seen in our work, um, uh, effective, amazing leaders, uh, rise above scarce resources and difficult structures and, uh, even a strategy that's not inspired. Mm -hmm. But um, other organizations can be well-resourced, and if their leader is not very effective, things can cave in and implode. Mm -hmm. So, And leadership happens at many levels. You can't just have great executive director or great board chair leadership. It's a culture of leadership. It's finding the right people and acknowledging them and uh, other strategies to retain them even in moments of scarcity. But how, how do you keep your talent um, in place and mm -hmm. and prepared to you know carry out good work at whatever level they are if that ends up being a value 
for the organization, it often serves them well. Mm-hmm. So that's a difference that we see. Starting with the board, you know, mm. a lot of us have, um, I think, not um, really leveraged the power of boards, and we're we just sort of throw a few people together so that we can get our five hundred one c three, and we're an expert about asking people for help. That sometimes when we recruit people to boards, we even begin with phraseology like. It, you, we, we don't need that much from you. We only meet a few times a year. Um, right. It's not that. Right. No, I mean the right. boards that we ought, people we ought to be recruiting to our boards. We ought to be we ought to be saying, we'll want this from you. We'll want that from you. Mm-hmm. It's important that you show up. We can't do the business of the organization unless you come to every board meeting. The culture that we want to establish here is real high level engagement of the board, and we'll prepare you. We'll make sure you have the information about the organization that you need to be a great board member. If you are feel unskilled about doing something like asking for money yourself or developing your own networks, let's talk about how we can prepare you to do that well. When you have a senior leadership that is working with its board in that way, better things happen for that mm. organization. And that's a that's a different dynamic than between nonprofits and and, and for profit corporations. That it see I don't know really anything about the way boards of for profit corporations work, but it seems like it's mostly oversight and governance and getting paid. Yeah. Um, whereas a nonprofit board is about oversight and governance for sure, but it's also about providing leadership and, and contributing actual skills um, and putting the work in to make the organization successful. That's right. Um, it, yeah, it's just interesting to me that you know there's so much talk these days about bringing business thinking to the nonprofit world, uh, but there are structures within the nonprofit world that are actually quite different. Um, than than in the business world, and the yep. board thing is one is one of them. That's right. Um, one of the things that we do at Community Resource Exchange is executive coaching, mm-hmm. and it always begins with um, a three sixty degree feedback instrument mm-hmm. that um, the person who wants to be coached does. Mm-hmm. We've done this with a lot of executive directors, and so now we have a nonprofit norm. The company whose instrument we use, which is Performance Programs, we use the Clark Wilson system. Mm-hmm. Uh, had been doing it for years and years with many corporate leaders. Yeah. So once we had a little bit of a, uh, this was several years ago, we had sort of finally 70 or 80 nonprofit leaders uh, in a norm. We compared the two and mm. um, uh, performance programs, and we wrote an article for the journal, the Nonprofit Quarterly Journal about this. But nonprofit leaders are uh, have greater strength as leaders, they use more leadership tools in carrying out their work than do corporate leaders. Huh. There are lots of differences between for-profit and nonprofit organizations, and I'm sure there are many nonprofit organizations that are a little bit more like corporate settings than others. Right. But by and large, many of the nonprofit organizations that we work with, you're right, Eric. You know, the, the think about just the number of communities to which nonprofits are accountable. It's probably three times as many as the communities that a for-profit would be accountable to. Mm-hmm. For-profit leader has their board of directors or their shareholders. Right. Maybe if they're thinking generously, they're, they think their staff of staff as a community that they might be accountable to in some way. Nonprofit leaders have all each of their diverse funders who are holding them accountable. They have right. their board of directors that is holding them accountable. They have their community that is holding them accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very sort of. Uh, uh, 
engaged stakeholders who all and the taxpayers you know you know there's got to be accountability to the irs and to to make sure that you're husbanding and using the resources in the right way since Mm -hmm. you're benefiting from an a tax-exempt status so there there's a lot of uh review there's a lot of um uh what's the word a lot of monitoring there's a lot of reporting and those transaction costs have their toll on all of us Mm -hmm. but certainly nonprofit leaders have to manage all those many stakeholders I think it's mostly a when it, it, it can be mostly a help, mm-hmm. you know, to have the, um, so many mirrors held up to you as mm-hmm. a nonprofit leader. It's a it's a way for you to, um, uh, yeah, I think tighten your own sense of what's actually happening, what you're actually accomplishing, so that you can be responsive to when there are flags or issues. So mm. if you attend well and if you have good systems, so that you're hearing from your various stakeholder ways stakeholder communities in positive ways you can really use that to continue to drive toward excellence and mm-hmm. to deliver greater impact you know that that's a good way to look at it certainly a like a positive constructive way to look at it i think also when i think about having you know 10 mirrors held up to me at once it sounds a little crazy making too absolutely and to have to be accountable to different stakeholders who speak Different languages and have different priorities. Absolutely. So think about how skilled the effective nonprofit leader is. That it's interesting that that you mentioned that, and you said think about how skilled the effective nonprofit leader is. Um, but there's all kinds of leaders, all kinds of nonprofit leaders, um, and I, I'm wondering what you think about who ends up becoming these nonprofit leaders. And if I could sort of frame that a little bit. Uh, my formative experience working in the nonprofit was right out of college, and I worked at an organization in San Francisco that uh, provided mostly provided services uh, for homeless people, but it was drug and treatment services. So it was like drop-in centers. There was uh, there was like rehab centers where you know a residential. There was all kinds of different um, dr- drug and alcohol treatment centers specifically aimed at at homeless people, and. Uh, it was some really great programs and everything. I worked in the executive office, and the leadership there had, f- for the most part, come up through the programs themselves. So many of them had gone from being in a treatment program to being a, a peer counselor, to being a program coordinator, program manager, director, etc., to up to director of finance. And then the organization grew around them, so they were able to sort of be grow into these other positions to the point where there's a whole executive team, the only people in the executive office who were not, who had not come up through that were, were myself and the accountant, myself being an executive assistant at the time, and the accountant, obviously being an accountant, um, everyone else, even though they weren't in programming positions anymore, they were director of finance, director of development, these kinds of positions, um, their expertise was varied. Um, some had more, some had less but they had all come to it through this same sort of path. Uh, that led to a very um, colorful set of personalities in the office. It also led to um, a, a team that, I mean, to be honest, was swimming beyond their depth. Yeah. You know, it was one thing, it's one thing to run one program. It's another thing to suddenly be, you know, you're an executive director of a multi-service agency like that and you're running a $10 million company, $20 million company. Um, when, you know, in that case, the, the, the executive director was a, a clinical, licensed clinical social worker. Right. Um, so her, tech, her formal training was in that, and now she's this executive 
on par with someone running, you know, a you know, $10 million private company who may or may not have a business degree, but comes to it through the path of, right. you know, learning about business and how to run a business. Um, so, well, so think cases. about that corporate leader, you know, that corporate leader who is now running that 10 or $20 million company likely was developed all along his or her way from the time they got at the company or when they were at the other company that they popped over from. Right. Right. So they went to a, some programs. They may have had a mentor. Um, they were certainly, their skills were developed. Mm -hmm. They were probably carefully reviewed. Um, if it was an effective corporation with a good talent management program, mm -hmm. their strengths were noted to them and, and their strengths were built on and so on. There's plenty of ineffective people in corporations. Sure. Let's just stay with the effective <laughs> <Apparently>, leader. <yeah. laughs> the the people that you talked about, yeah. you know, um, I don't. Maybe you have this information, but when it when it happens that program people are promoted upward, mm -hmm. um, they may be natural at being effective managers and leaders. But if they are not, it's the organization needs to make sure that they are properly prepared. And they, too, should be taking advantage of where they can mm -hmm. of programs to strengthen their core technical skills. And I think that not all nonprofits have known to do that or feel like they have affordable access to those kinds of programs yeah. or have felt like they could take the time to do it. Um, and I think it has hurt us. There are a lot of um, uh, there's there's talk in the field now. I, I'm working a little bit with the Hunter School of Social Work, Dean Jackie Mondros, who, about clinical social workers and how several of them do get bumped up to become these accidental managers, and they've never been trained to be right. an effective manager. Some of their clinical skills will serve them, but there's lots of other things that effective managers should know how you build team, how you manage the white space, um, what it really means to put an effective feedback program, performance review program in place, how you communicate upwards to your managers, how you raise money, what does it mean to look at an audit, you know, some technical skills as well as some other um, skills that are more about your management and your leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm sure lots of people come to that naturally, but lots of us need training. Uh, and so Hunter is thinking about how it will help these accidental managers who have been clinical social workers and pushed upward could have access to a, to a certificate program, for example, at, man, at Hunter mm -hmm. about management. Baruch does a great job. Columbia does a great job. In New York City, we're fortunate because places like Community Resource Exchange mm -hmm. and these other places I've mentioned can help groups with that. So I would just say that, you know, smart organizations, learning organizations, the people, even as they're moving up, recognize that they could build out their skills more. And always, always we have to ask, do we have the right people in the right place? Do they have the right skills that, that they're doing this work well? And if we're caring more about just keeping people in their positions than we are about whether they're prepared to do these new things, then we're making the wrong, wrong choices. Mm -hmm. I, I moved up at Community Resource Exchange, you know. Right. I, I didn't, you know, I and but I was sent to some of these programs um, mm -hmm. to strengthen my own skills. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of staff development along the way, um, and we we like to think that when we're trying to figure something out, that we will hire the people in to extend our thinking and help us be more strategic and thoughtful about not keep it insular. Right. I worry that our field attracts uh people who have who are driven to public positions of leadership for narcissistic reasons mm. not just 
because they're passionate about their work, because I've come across so many who run their organizations like little empires and can be so capricious with their authority within the organization, but then are well known in the community and in their community or sometimes nationally for being passionate speakers or being advocates for people who are less fortunate or however, however you want to frame it. Um, is that, is it unfair of me? Am I getting jaded to think that? Or is there, do you think that there's something to it? I, you know, I know those people exist, Eric. I can, as you were talking, I was thinking about a couple of, of folks that I've run into that I think are a little bit like that. Um, but I, I don't see a trend mm-hmm. in that uh, at all. So, I, you know, I've been there 16 years. I can't say that I'm seeing that more than I used to. I think, like any profession, there's some people that have come to it with uh, true intentions and others that they're a little bit less so. But the other thing that was coming up for me when you were giving that example is what are those boards of directors doing yeah. to understand how their leader, who's so dynamic, is actually faring? I think there are many boards that just do whatever. They're, they're really follower boards. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if they're not follower boards, they're not inquisitive boards. They're not taking seriously one of their key roles, which is to review the executive director. They may be making assumptions about how effective that leader is. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually those things, or sometimes those things will come back to bite them or present problems later. And then they will have wondered how they couldn't have, how they let this happen yeah. or why didn't they, why they didn't know this. Right. Sure. Um, but no, I'm not seeing that. It's funny, you know, uh, one of the things that Siri has always helped um, ha- to happen is to help individuals start new CBOs. Mm-hmm. And um, it is sometimes there that I see individuals approaching that prospect, be- having a false belief that somehow starting a nonprofit is easier than starting a business or mm. finding other work. Yeah, and it's so, the other way the, around. yeah, and so, but they think because they're uninformed that they'll just start a nonprofit, and and they don't have real a real community around them mm-hmm. that wants to start the nonprofit. They, some of them are um, believe that they can solve a problem better. They haven't done the hard work of even doing any kind of needs assessment or figuring out who else is doing really terrific work in this area. Mm-hmm. It's all about them doing it, and and sort of that narcissistic uh, sort of um, element is driving a lot of their interests. And they often name their new nonprofit after themselves. <laughs> That's one of our flags. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we stopped working with such new groups one-to-one immediately. And uh-huh. we have instead um, a series of half-day workshops called So You Want to Start a Nonprofit <laughs> that tries to help participants grapple with what it really means to start a nonprofit. Right. And then to do a program design and needs assessment, to create a theory of change, what it's really like to raise money, what it's really like to develop a board, and so on. Mm-hmm. And if by the end of that, those people are still standing, we might work with them and, and then help them be thoughtful about their design. And if mm-hmm. we know that there's another group around the corner that's doing that work, we will remind them that if you're caring about this issue, there's more than one way to help on this issue. Right. You can join the other organization as a board member or a volunteer or bring your idea there and make it stronger. Uh, yeah, that, it, it sounds to me like that 
process might weed out a lot of people who are looking for a place to hang their identity Yes, more than that they're looking to create an organization that is going to do something that's not already being done in the world or something that needs the work that needs to be done. Yes. Um, if nothing else, you know, it sounds, it sounds like one of those boot camp classes in, in grad school where it's like, you know, half the point of the class is to make people drop out who aren't serious about the program. Um, because it's a, it is a lot of hard work. I mean, just start just creating a nonprofit structure is a lot of work, much less actually doing the work to get the money flowing. That's right. Um, speaking of getting the money flowing, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, funders in this. You know, what's one thing that's interesting to me, you were talking about how in the corporate world, many companies will invest in leadership development, will invest in the training of their, their managers. Um, and a, a, a dynamic that takes place in, in our world is that some of that is happening at the level of the organization. Like I know, you know, there are organizations that come to CRE or come to Development Without Limits and say, we want to work on this or that. Can you help us? But a lot of the work is also driven by funders. And that's a very different dynamic um, where the funder, whether a public funder or a private funder, is saying, you know, please work with this group that we're funding to help them. Um, do you find that that dynamic is a significant one in your work? Yeah, surely. And you and I and our, our, you know, our joint funder department for youth and community development, but others, you know, all grapple with that. You know, we all want to be helpful and make an organization that's valuable to a community more effective. Mm -hmm. But we also know that we, there have to be more, more than just us caring about that. The executive director and the board actually have to agree that there's something to be helped, that there's something valuable that DWL or CRE or anyone might bring. Uh, and it can be off-putting to have a funder tell you that you need this help. Yeah. So helping the funder be more um, great, graceful and, and, um, and effective in the way that they help the groups they care about and are funding to identify what what challenges they may be having and more graceful in the way they communicate that and then connect them to the resources that the funder has amassed mm -hmm. um, you know has everything to do with how you know well the referral itself will go CRE does work with a number of private and public funders and and each is different in their way that they refer work uh, to us mm -hmm. and in the way they present the idea of partnership. For us, the bottom line is that the executive director uh, seems to be bringing genuine interest and energy about this. It isn't always easy to, to see that or to perceive it. There may be um, in the assessment meeting or in the initial meetings the appearance of that and mm -hmm. then we may not know until we've gotten into the work a little bit that this is not a priority for that leader and uh, they don't see value and they were just saying the right words so that the funder would go away <laughs> that does happen mm -hmm. uh, but um, you know we we've gotten better at trying to suss that out as early on as possible and without getting the organization in trouble negotiating what work we would do um, based on a funder referral. It's, mm -hmm. it's always a dance, Eric. 
And I think the more that we can name it to funders and the more that we can name it out loud up front to the groups that we're referred to, um, the better off we will all be. Uh, I have fe- I feel uh, like we're lucky to be in New York City. I don't know what it's like in other cities, but I feel like as problematic as many of our public or private funder demands or perspectives are, mm-hmm. um, by and large, they're all after the same thing. And with some conversation and relationship building with them, we massage our relationships so that we're getting great referrals or that we can refer in work mm-hmm. and, um, and get, the, get the groups that are ready, that want to do the work, that feel energetic, that actually call the funder and say, I'd love to work on this. Who can you refer me to? Right. Uh, with every new funder, we have to negotiate that. But I would say, by and large, that's who we get to work with. And that's mm-hmm. who, that's, that is who we feel excited about working with. Uh, I I would agree, and um, I I think many would say that public funders in New York City and across the country, and private funders of, as well, um, they their intentions are, are, are as you just described, but that there's so much focus on on measurement and outcomes and, and results oriented thinking right now that um, the demands are unreasonable and it creates a sort of the sort of the, the situation you described of, of all the mirrors. It creates a sort of, you know, crazy nightmare funhouse sort of version of that, which is that everyone is looking at you as a, as a nonprofit who has funding from private funders, from public funders. Everyone is sort of demanding their own results. And, and I feel like y- your work is often working alongside the nonprofit leaders to help them negotiate all of those things. Um, it's funny, I, I just was thinking, as I was saying this, I, I was recalling a, a radio interview I heard recently with the, um, it's a NPR program called On the Media. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were discussing this, the journalistic use of the, a phrase like, many would say that such and such. What I really mean is, I think that there's too many demands on, yes. on, these, on these leaders and yes. that, it's, that it's crazy making and that even for a successful, effective, well-trained, well-poised leader, that they're being in some ways set up to fail. Yeah. Um, and, and I've been told on a recent podcast that my, my thinking of these things is, uh, is too extreme. No, I, 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 I concur with you. I think others at CRE would concur with you, Eric, and... Some of our blogs and some of the times when we're able to speak directly to funders, we um, try to hold that up for them to see and also to make the point that they're also not giving the resources that are required to actually put these reporting processes mm-hmm. in place. I mean, there's such a, a disinvestment into, in infrastructure. Um, at one, on one hand, they're saying you all should be able to track your activities and note your results. And if you can demonstrate your social value, you know, we'll be able to invest more in you. That's Mm -hmm. really, they've been so heavily influenced there from the federal government and from corporates, corporate social venture types that are using all of that language. And on the other hand, um, particularly in the last four or five years, the same foundations and public agencies are saying, but you can only spend 8% or 10% or 15% on admin, and mm. you're going to have to do more with less. Mm-hmm. And 
no, we're not actually going to coordinate between our, our own agencies. Each of us has our own mission. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a very, um, um, I think it's a moment of transition for the sector, and I think we're going to be in this stuck place hmm. uh, where these combating uh, interests and uh, under-resourcing is going to continue for a while. The most effective organizations are the ones that will come out of this are the ones who are able to say for themselves what their definitions of success are. I think Harlem RBI is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Now, these are the three things that we track. Mm-hmm. And this is what our board wants to track. And this is what we think is healthy to track. And this is what we think matters in the world. And, uh, and, and get the funders to be listening to that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes more complicated for settlement houses that have more than just a youth program or more than just a school right. when they have to have those kinds of conversations and try to use their influence with, with many funders. But yes, I, I agree. There are a lot of, of pressures on there. There's a lot of mixed feelings about what it means to track activities and track results and what yeah. impact. Uh, everybody has the words, but everybody yeah. thinks differently about it. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like there's this this defense of saying um, we need accountability, and if you're if you're criti- critical of the overuse of reporting and all of this, that you're anti-accountability, um, which I, I think is um, just a false construct. I mean, what's happened recently? We've we've seen a couple of examples in the news of where the pressure to sort of you know get your numbers correct yes um, has led to. Uh, fraud in some yes. cases, and and it's so interesting to me because the case that that I'm thinking of in particular, it seemed that it wasn't fraud like you usually you hear you know fraud nonprofit world you think that someone's writing checks to, to their right or stole or, money yeah, yes or there's some kind of intent to there was um corruption but in this case it was really just they figured out a way to make sure that the numbers were right so yes. they're you know they're signing people up for this and they're counting them as having done also done this and as long as the system stays coherent then the numbers look much better than they are and you know uh, the the uh, police talk about juking their stats you know i think that's the right phrase juking their stats sounds awkward off my lips but um, you know, sort of just being able to massage and manage the numbers to keep everybody happy and keep the funding flowing. Um, but who's served? I mean, right. who, who benefits right. from that? One of the things I have seen recently is a couple of organizations looking at the RFPs and not going for them. Mm. And some of the advocates in the field nationally would say that what needs to happen to turn this around is for more nonprofits to say, no, because what you're proposing is undoable. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not giving me enough resources to do it, and you're driving toward the wrong outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, the fear, I think, that many other nonprofits have is if they don't go for it, someone else will. Yeah. Uh, and you always think, well, I'll somehow I will make this happen well for the community, and I'll tolerate all of this other uh, stuff that I have to do along with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there are there are, we have seen that we have counseled groups and we have seen groups be smart about not going for particular things mm-hmm. because they are undoable, and I have heard occasionally funders say they didn't get the kind of response they thought they'd get. Mm. Um, I don't know that it's really had enough impact um, right. yet. Uh, it's a it's troubling because those those smart nonprofits probably are also better at doing the work than a lot of the other nonprofits if they're being that thoughtful about mm-hmm. it. And so they're choosing with, with, within their rights and within their integrity, choosing not to go after that opportunity. 
and then it makes it a little bit easier for another organization who might not be quite as together and might not be quite as effective to to be able to to get that and then who loses, who loses is the, the, the community, community. that's being served that's right yeah we're doing a lot of work um the last few years in helping groups answer questions within their planning uh, about what is the change that they really want to make, what are the results they're really after themselves, their mm-hmm. organization, funder expectations aside, yeah. and for whom they want to make that change in, mm-hmm. and what for them are the indicators of success, what mm-hmm. would define success, mm-hmm. and then helping them be thoughtful about what they would, what their indicators of short-term outcomes might look like so they can manage toward that success. Yeah. Uh, that's a great deal of our work because some groups have felt like it's a way for them to focus more deeply on core programming and shed some of the programming that they've gotten into more opportunistically. Right, sure, it, just chasing the funding. Right, so they're yeah. spending energy. Even if something pays for itself, you have to manage it. You have to use resources to make it go. And so trying to husband resources to to only work on what really matters. Mm-hmm. It's just... it's. It's a great process when you can really define what you mean by success, and then it's disheartening when you get an RFP that d- tells you how you should define success for the purposes to get th- of getting that funding. Right. Um, but you know, you mentioned that you think that we're at a transition. Um, where do you see it going? So I think it will simplify. I think that there's a a low hum of sort of outrage in just the way that you articulated it, Eric, Uh that um, there are too many funders with differing um, measures of outcomes. There's a lot of drive of the funding in that way, but not a lot of resources to actually make it happen well. I mean, to keep up, every nonprofit would have to have a very well-developed technological system and a great database. Most of us aren't there yet. I suspect, and I don't, I don't have something to pull on here that's firm to explain why I think this. Uh, I, I just suspect that I don't know. Five years from now, people will swing a little bit the other way, maybe in the middle, mm-hmm. and be. Uh, asking the subcontractors or the agencies with whom they want to partner to make something good happen for the community to participate in the definition of success and give them money to do that. Mm-hmm. So something in between no accountability and this maddening monitoring that is a, leads to a spiral of failure. Yeah. Well, that's hopeful. It may just be <laughs> that I'm an optimistic person. Well, it's good to be an optimistic person. Um, but it's also hopeful to think about a, a world where we can we can still focus on what we really mean by success and still focus on measuring our progress towards our goals, but simplify and not be caught up in all these right. random um, metrics. That's right. I feel like right now it's this either or. It's either like tons of metrics or everyone says, whoa, do you just want to go back to the days when all we counted were units of service Hours were open. Yeah, because I mean, you know, for all the challenges of this, and for all the parts that aren't working, uh, it does for me as a nonprofit leader have meaning when it's not just the meals you're counting that you gave out, but that you're talking about people's health and nutrition. Right. Like that's what we're trying to impact. Yeah. And it may, and by focusing there, it may cause us to have other strategies. 
besides making a meal. It yeah. may that be that something else happens. Or if what we're really about is reducing isolation and the meal was just the way to get into the apartment of the older person, it helps people be more thoughtful and clear about the strategies that would really get them to that result. I think we were on autopilot for mm-hmm. a little while, just counting numbers. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between, and funders will have to come to terms with it, there's a difference between knowing whether you're performing well and whether you're getting to impacts that mm-hmm. you want. And there should be simpler measures that we can all use to know whether the quality is good uh, and the performance is is meeting standards. And that should be different from the questions about whether we're making the change that needs to be made. Yeah, I know we think about that a lot at Community Resource Exchange in our own systems, our own definition of what is it success in management consulting. How do we know that we've made a difference? In, and being very clear about that. What does it look like? And having deeper conversations with our clients at the start about how we see this status, your condition currently, where we want to move you to. Mm-hmm. And do you agree first with where we, what the data seem to say and what you report as your status on this thing, whether it's human resources or leadership or financial management? Do we agree about where you want to go? And then let's talk at the end and see whether we got there and whether more needs to happen. Just having those kind of explicit conversations is something we've been more in the habit of the last couple of years because we're more clear about the results we want and how you get there. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. And it's, it's nice to me because it's taking all of this structure, system, and measurement and making it actually useful and human. Yeah. That it's, it's really about you know working with people, not forcing them to, to go through this preconceived system. Right. And uh, I, I really want to thank you, Holly, for being on Please Speak Freely. And um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And I also want to take this opportunity to say that I've learned a lot um, from working with you. And I really, really appreciate the perspective that you bring to it. Well, I'm so glad that we've had these years working together. And I hope we'll do that always, because I think it really benefits the nonprofit to have this partnership that we have. Thanks. Um, Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. Nobody Thank mm-hmm. you.